Hello and welcome back to episode 2 of the Secure Byproduct Podcast. So today we'll be talking about phishing and password security. As always, I just want to set the stage for how the podcast will be formatted since we're just getting started here. First 15 minutes, we'll be talking about security news, you know, the stuff you'll see in the real world. Today we're going to be talking about phishing. There's going to be a lot of phishing happening in the next few months related to tax returns. I just want to get some information out there so that you can protect yourself. Uh, the next 15 minutes after that, we'll be taking feedback and listener questions. This week we don't have any, so we'll probably be skipping that segment. Again, if you have any questions about any topics that you hear on this podcast or you need some clarification, please email securebyproduct at gmail.com. That is S-E-C-U-R-E-B-Y-P-R-O-D-U-C-T at gmail.com. All one word, securebyproduct, that is securebyproduct at gmail.com. The last 30 minutes today, we'll be talking about password security. This is very critical uh, because in a lot of cases, your password is really the only defense you have between yourself and the bad guys out there. All it takes is knowing your password, and I can get into your account, or someone else can get into your account. We're going to talk about how to manage your passwords, how to make sure that you're changing them at appropriate times, how to make sure that you're not using the same passwords across multiple websites. So today we'll be talking about for our news some recent phishing attempts related to Office 365. I'm sure there's lots of people out there who use Office, the Microsoft Office suite. Um, most companies use that suite, and that includes Microsoft Teams, Microsoft Word, Excel, all that kind of thing. So first, let's ask ourselves, what is phishing? What does that word mean? And by the way, it's spelled P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, phishing. Phishing is basically a targeted attack on your email. It's an attacker trying to send you a link or to a website or include a malicious document to an email where they want you to click it and then they'll be able to harvest your credentials or uh, make you go to a website where you can get a virus or they can um, monitor what you're doing. So basically, a phishing email is a targeted attempt to get you to click a malicious link. And all it really takes in a lot of cases is just one malicious, one click on a malicious email to uh, send you to a portal that looks legitimate. And so that's what we're kind of seeing with these new Office 365 uh, attacks. So the article I'm talking about today is in Redmond Magazine. And the uh, title is Beware These New Microsoft Office 365 Phishing Attacks. And this was published on December 2nd, 2019. So actually last month. So recently, there have been a huge slew of Office 365 related phishing attacks, and most of it is kind of related around voicemail. So you'll get an email into your mailbox, and it says something like, you've received a new voicemail in Microsoft Teams, or maybe it's like a Excel document link or like a OneDrive link. Now these emails, they're... Their attempt to create urgency is saying you've received a new voicemail. Don't you want to hear your new voicemail that came in? Uh, obviously, a lot of people might just click that if they're not looking for key factors. Um, there's also tons of other examples of phishing, like we all know. The uh, like Nigerian Prince email that comes in that asks you for money. You start talking to this person, and they get your bank information. Or if you give it to them, and then they can extract money from your account. I'm sure you've all had things similar to that. Um, now, these Office 365 phishing attempts, they look fairly legitimate. It looks like the exact Office 365 formatting that you would expect. 
but there's definitely some key things that I need you to look at for almost any email that comes into your mailbox so you can defend yourself. And again, this is even more critical during tax season because during tax season in the next few months, we're coming up to February here, phishing emails are extremely prevalent these days. Actually, back in 2016, the IRS said there was a 400% increase in the amount of phishing attempts related to tax tax returns. So you have to be extremely vigilant during this time of year to check every email that comes in. If you see anything with your taxes, anything about your tax returns, your credit score, offering free tax uh, services from H&R Block or TurboTax, anything like that, make sure that you are double and triple checking these emails with all the information I'm about to give you of how to check them. Okay, It's very, very critical during this time of year because think about all the things that you have on your W-2. You have your salary, you have your address, you have your name, you probably have your social security number on there. For your tax return itself, you definitely have to have your social security number on there because otherwise the IRS can't file your tax return for you. So if you click on the wrong link and you fill out the wrong form or you log into the wrong portal and you fill out the wrong forms where someone can get all the information, you're done. I mean, you're going to have to get credit monitoring. Or you're going to have to freeze a lot of your accounts. It's going to be very painful for you if you're not paying attention during this time of year. So some general tricks to avoid phishing, and this really applies to any email that comes into your mailbox, okay? So trick number one that I use, always read that subject line. If it seems like an urgent request, like for example, in these Office 365 emails, it says you have received a new voicemail, right? That makes you wonder. That makes you want to take an action to listen to that voicemail. Other things could be urgent. File your taxes today. Or urgent. Your credit score has dropped 10 points. Anything that is has a sense of urgency or a feeling of you doing an action behind it. Make sure that you're double checking these emails. So anything, any email that comes into your mailbox, if it has an urgent subject line or something like you have received and, and you didn't want to receive any of these things, make sure that you're double checking that email and that should instantly throw a red flag and bring suspicion upon that email. So at this point that you've looked at the subject line, I'm not saying that the email is guaranteed to be malicious. You know, it might be a coworker getting you to do something, an actual task urgently, or it might not be. So next, you want to check the content of the email for spelling errors. A lot of these uh, hackers out there, you know, malicious people sending these emails, they don't really care about the spelling, right? They'll have a couple words misspelled, or, you know, they might not know English all that great. So look for any misspellings in any of the text inside of the email. If you see a misspelling, that should throw another red flag. We're kind of building a, uh, you know, a checkbox here, right? If you can check off all these checkboxes with a green check mark that they're all good, then the email is probably okay. If there's one or two or all of them that aren't checked off, they're red or yellow, you're not quite sure, I wouldn't open that email, okay? So, checkbox number one, subject line. Is it urgent? Checkbox number two, the text within the email. Are there misspellings? 
is there something that doesn't quite make sense, maybe like a misplaced word, uh, at the very bottom of the email, is, is the address of the company actually legitimate, or is there some kind of a, you know, misspelling there, or a different, a different address, right? The third thing to check is who the sender is. So you can open the email, and you can see who sent it to you. This is often a very good indicator. So, for example, in these Office 365 emails, the sender is like o365 at something.com. Probably not Microsoft. Or it might be random numbers like 921-325 at something.com. The reason it looks like that is that they can't claim the Microsoft.com domain name. So, obviously, it's not from Microsoft. So, make sure you're checking who sends you that email. If it's anything odd, or even if it is, like, just admin at something.com, something that isn't necessarily descriptive, you want to definitely check that out. Okay? That will be almost 90% of the time where you will see differences you know it it won't be like like for example in this article it says renewals at godaddy.com that's an actual legitimate email and the non-legitimate email it will say like invoice from whoever at a different.com right so make sure you're checking who sent you that email don't click on any links yet don't do anything don't hover on any links just you open the email don't download any files just check these elements. One, subject line. Line, right? Is it something strange? Like uh, this screenshot of the one email in the article. It says one new VM. That subject line doesn't make any sense, right? And it says you've received a new voicemail. Do you really think that someone sending you a voicemail or through a legitimate service, the subject line would really be one new VM? probably be something a little bit more legitimate right the second thing to check is any misspellings in any of the words in the email okay you know these have gotten actually a lot better so it's not necessarily true that there's gonna be a lot of misspellings a lot of times these hackers will use um you know pre-templated emails that they've already gotten from these services so they actually really does look legitimate but the other thing that can really be the red flag the third red flag to check is who was this sent from right is it something generic like admin at something.com or is it something actually legitimate with the proper domain name now if you have clicked on a link in an email, there's still some things that you can also do. Okay. So, for example, in these Office 365 attempts, when you click the link on the email, it takes you to an Office 365 portal. And it looks almost exactly identical to the actual Office 365 portal. You see, what these hackers can do is they can use some tools to... Uh, copy the HTML text from any website. There's tons of tools out there like that. That's built into a lot of hacking platforms to easily make 
phishing emails, right? To make a website that is crafted to look exactly like the original. But if you click that link and it's taken you to a portal and, you know, you might have checked off one red flag. You weren't quite sure. You clicked the link anyway. It took you to a portal like uh, office.com. It looks like office.com, right? Make sure you look up in the top of your web browser where, you know, it has google.com or like facebook.com. That's where your domain name is. Make sure you are double checking and triple checking any URL that is up there. If it doesn't make sense, don't go any further. Make sure that you close that web page, okay? Very important. If it's supposed to be like www.office.com and it's something like officeportal.azure.microsoft.com or something, anything that doesn't make any sense, get out of there immediately. Do not check, type anything into those text boxes. Because once you provide your username and password, they've got you, right? Now, we'll talk about some password complexities, um, how you can protect yourself, and how often you should rotate passwords later in the podcast. But never type into one of those portals if you see that the URL is strange. Okay? So, our four, four or five red flags. One, a subject line. Is this urgent or is it kind of strange, right? Are they trying to make you click something immediately? It says like urgent deal approaching or urgent, you know, click this link for free tax returns. That's one red flag, okay? Second red flag, any misspellings in the actual email itself, right? Could be one word just misspelled that would, you know, make you wonder. The third red flag, who was this sent from? Does it make any sense? Is it actually who I expected this email to come from? Right? Say I expected an email from my friend, Ted. If this email isn't from Ted, why would I open it? Right? And the fourth red flag, if you've already clicked the link in the email, and say it's taking you to a login screen, or taking you to an office portal that looks legitimate, Make sure you're going up in that URL bar and double-checking the URL that it actually makes sense. It should be, if it's Office Portal, it should be office365.com, right? Very simple. There's only one domain out there that looks like that. If there's anything else in that URL bar, then you need to close that window immediately. And something else I really want to talk about that a ton of people do not know about, even I did not know about this until fairly recently. So a lot of companies have a way to report phishing emails, right? So if you're working in IT or or you're working at an office, usually your company has a way to report emails, like phishing emails. Usually it's like suspicious email at whatever company or say, you know, phishing at whatever company you work for, right? They actually have something that normal public people can report phishing emails to. This is actually pretty important because it helps, uh, you know, us to protect others, be able to identify, you know, phishing emails and filter it out. If you're using like Google Chrome or Google, a Gmail account, uh, 
they might be able to add this to like a filter to start filtering out these phishing emails, right? So a place that you can send phishing emails to is phishing-report at us-cert.gov. That's phishing-report at us-cert.gov. Look up phishing reporting USA on Google. It should be by CISA Cyber Infrastructure, right? That's phishing-report at us-cert.gov. P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G-R-E-P-O-R-T at us dash cert c-e-r-t dot gov g-o-v right using any email service you can actually you can draft an email to this email address and then drag the suspicious email into it and send it to them and they will look into it okay and that's important for not only normal people but also companies right because companies can get the same email format template from US cert and they'll be able to start filtering on it and you know that helps to protect everyone helps to protect the public helps to protect your private enterprise that's always a very good thing to do to report your phishing emails to US cert okay US cert also has tons and tons of other awesome uh awesome uh information security information right that's like the uh, United States uh, Department of Homeland Security Cyber Response Organization. Okay? Something cool to look into. U.S. CERT. U.S. Capital C-E-R-T. U.S. CERT has tons of tips and also alerts to alert you to any emerging threats. Definitely look into U.S. CERT. It's a great resource. Definitely recommend that. Okay, so now we're going to move on to our topic of the day, which is password management. Again, this section would normally be reserved for uh, questions from listeners. If you have any questions, concerns, feedback, securebyproduct at gmail.com, all lowercase, no spaces, securebyproduct at gmail.com. All right, so let's move into our password management section. Now, why are passwords important? Why are we focusing on that? Well, a password is a secret that you remember, right? A secret to get into your account. It's what you type into any uh, web page to get access to your information to your account, right? The most important thing to remember about passwords, there's kind of a few elements that I think about. One is complexity. That is how long your password is, right? The more complex, the harder it is to figure it out, usually, unless it's made out of like tons of dictionary words like see the cat run really fast that is not a very good password because it's all known words right there's a few ways that hackers try to compromise passwords okay one way is the brute force method think about this as typing on the keyboard and trying every character like you type one you press enter you type two you press enter you type three you press enter you try one two three you try one two three four one two three four five right it's literally trying every single possibility that takes a lot of time okay now computers are able to do those kind of calculations in milliseconds but when they're dealing with a password that is highly complex long it's going to take a computer still a very long time to try to crack a password and they'd actually do it against a hash which is an encrypted version of your password but that's a little bit complicated for 
average listeners to understand. So the thing about the brute force method is you're hitting every key on the keyboard and you're trying to see if it matches the password, right? The other way is the dictionary attack. Like I said, the cat runs really fast isn't a good password because it's all known words strung together, right? That's like easy for someone to crack or, you know, it might be existing in a list already, right? There's tons and tons of lists out there of known passwords. If you can throw a, a huge list of passwords, known passwords at a account and get in, then that was easy for you, right? It's not even laziness. That is like just going for the lowest hanging fruit, right? There's a couple other password attacks like hybrid attacks um, that you don't we don't need to get into right now. That's like kind of the two basic brute force dictionary. Hybrid, you can go look that one up on your yourself if you want to. It's a mix. Mm. There's also things like rainbow tables. If you're really looking into learning about password cracking. So, back to the topic of your password. You want this to be complex, right? You want to have uppercases. You want to have lowercases. You want to have symbols. A lot of things, a lot of factors for a hacker to guess, right? So one factor of a good password is complexity. Okay? Instead of password one, two, three, mix in symbols and characters. <laughs> Don't use password one, two, three. Every single variant of that is pretty much well known. Okay? <laughs> that would be a dictionary attack that would take that one out. Okay? You can look up on Google, look up top 10 passwords of 2019, top 10 passwords of 2020, top 10 passwords of 2018. If you see your password on that list, I want you to change it today, okay? No matter what account it's for. Okay, the other factor that comes with passwords is what I call refreshing or, you know, rotating your password, changing it every X number of days. For most people, I would say, for your most critical accounts, like bank accounts, anything where you could access your social security number, uh, you know, health accounts like that have your personal health information that would be related to HIPAA, which is the Health Portability Act. Um, make sure those are getting rotated like every 30 or 60 or 90 days, right? Most critical passwords you want to rotate them often you know if someone if there's a breach and someone gets a credential you don't want them to be able to reuse it on one of your most critical accounts right so you want to try to rotate your password I'm going to talk about a couple tools that can actually do that automatically for you it comes with some caveats now the problem with rotating passwords often is that as humans we really want to keep our passwords similar or the same right like, it's very annoying to rotate my password every 90 days. That's what most people think, right? My password might be password1234 this month. Next month, I'll make it password12345. It was enough to change it, right? But it's still similar. And the problem with passwords is that once a pattern is really established, something for someone to latch onto and see a pattern that's established, it makes finding the password so much easier, right? So for example, I was uh, doing a hacking lab on Hack the Box, which is a 
really nice uh, pen testing platform. And I found the password for the admin account, and it was password 2019, exclamation point, right? Well, I typed the password in, and it didn't work. So what did I try? Password 2020, exclamation point. Hmm. That one worked. Right, so you see how the password, it kind of has a pattern to it. And I'm sure there's tons of people out there who, you know, have winter 2018. The next year they change it to winter 2019. The next year they change it to winter 2020. It's a great way to remember your password, don't get me wrong. But it establishes a pattern. And once a pattern's established, that's where hackers are able to bypass a lot of things like brute forcing. They're able to use a dictionary attack or, you know put certain characters into the algorithm or the brute force that they know are going to be there. So, for example, if you had a password like fall 2020, they would know that fall is there, and most likely 20, because we're still in the 2000s here. And then, you know, they only really have two characters to break at that point. They went from having F-A-L-L 2020 to crack to having just the last two digits of 2020. So that's why it's very dangerous to do your passwords like that, you know, by the year, or to use known words like that, right? So now that brings up the question, you know, you say, oh, I have tons of accounts, right? How am I going to remember all my passwords? How am I going to not keep a pattern, right? Well, one thing that I do is I think about my accounts from a risk perspective. So, what accounts have the most important data? It might be your bank account. It might be your tax returns, you know, on TurboTax, on H&R Block, whatever tax service you're using this, this year. And those would go in the higher risk category. Anything with health data, anything with credit card data, Anything with bank account information, anything where they could open a new line of credit or credit monitoring, those you want to be your absolute most complex passwords, and you want to keep them being rotated very often. There might be some other accounts out there where it's like, eh, you know? Like, for example, say you play some online game or something. If someone hacked your account, you lose your account, they can go do things with it, but you don't have any credit card information tied to that account. Is it really that big of a deal if you lose that account? Sure, you lose your progress in the game, but that could maybe be a slightly less complex password, right? If you think about it in that way, the risk perspective, even companies do this. Most companies, they say normal user accounts need to have at least seven or eight characters, right? An admin account or you know, a server admin or domain admin account must have longer passwords, right? So you can think about your accounts in that kind of risk perspective. Maybe for your banking account, you have a 20-character password that rotates every three months. Something to think about. Maybe on your Pinterest profile, you have a shorter password. Now, another thing to think about with accounts, online passwords, is that you definitely want to enable two-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication. 
what that is basically the most common way of multi-factor authentication working is you type your password into a website say Facebook Facebook has two-factor authentication when you try to log in with your username your email your password it will prompt you for a code okay that code has an expiration date it's sent to you via text or email or to an authenticator app there's lots of nice authenticator apps out there there's Google Authenticator Microsoft Authenticator I'm sure there's even more right you can tie your Facebook account to one of those authenticator apps and when you log in with your password it will also ask you to provide your token it's a concept of a one-time pad a one-time pad is like a short digit character that's only used once never ever reused and that is what authenticates you to the thing okay so make sure that you enable two-factor authentication because if your password is compromised that is a second it's like a backup right your password might be compromised but if they don't have access to your authenticator app they aren't there in those five minutes before that code expires or that one minute before that code expires they don't have that code they aren't going to be able to get into your account. Okay? So, on any account, make sure you're enabling two factor authentication. For a lot of banking websites, two factor authentication is actually almost invisible. For example, if I log into my bank account, if I'm logging in from a new computer, from a new location, from anything that might throw a red flag to that bank, they will ask me for a, a, a one time token. Right? If you log in from a new device, you log in from a totally different location like Europe, Zimbabwe, something like that. The banks are usually smart enough to take those factors, assign a risk level, and uh, make you provide a one-time pad if it's a risky login. And tons of uh, accounts also allow you to get alerts to your email or to your phone when an unsuccessful login is attempted. So for example, my bank account, I have a notification set up where it will email me if anyone tries to log into my account at any time. So I know exactly if someone tries to log into my account. It's always something handy to know. For your Gmail account, I definitely recommend doing two-factor authentication. Anything that's higher risk, your Facebook profile, your banking if they offer it, Instagram, any a lot of websites have two-factor authentication that is a great tool to use okay they send you a code you put in the code that's what really verifies your identity that's one of the best ways even if your password is compromised to still have security right around your account that that hacker would have to know the exact code at the exact time to be able to hack your account to get into your account some websites even provide a one-time pad that are used in an emergency. So for example, they give you a list of codes. You have to write that list of codes down, store it in a very secure location, and you can use that as like a break glass scenario to get into your account if you don't have an authenticator app available or you're not able to receive texts. Right? Don't store those one-time pads on your computer because that defeats the point. If the user can if the hacker can access your desktop something like that, wherever that text file is located, they're into your account for free if they know your password, right? So make sure you're actually writing those down and storing them in a safe or somewhere very secure, right? If those are provided. So one thing, 
multi-factor authentication is probably the most important thing to prevent any password uh, compromises, right? At least your account. Your password might be compromised, but they need a second factor of authentication to actually lock in. There's also uh, multi-factor authentication like YubiKeys, where you plug a USB into the device and, and it authenticates you as well. So you can have a, a couple of different factors, right? So for example, uh, multi-factor authentication like the concept, one factor of authentication will be a password, right? That's something that we refer to in security as something that you know, right? I know my password. I got it memorized. <laughs> it's my brain. Then there's other factors of authentication. One is where you are. That's your location, right? So for example, like the banking website example, if you log into your banking website from a new location, it's going to throw you an error, right? It's going to make sure that's actually you. That's based on where you are, where you're located. That's the second factor of authentication. If you're in a normal spot, you're coming in from your home, the bank knows that and will probably let you in more easily, right? Another factor is something that you are. Now that is like biometrics, right? So I actually worked at a hospital at one point and we had biometric mice, right? Scans your fingerprint as a second factor of authentication to let you into the system. Uh-huh. Also, retina scans and things like that are also iris scans. Those are popular ways. You know, you see that in James Bond. He walks up to the door, boop, scans his eyeball and lets him in. That's two-factor authentication, right? He had the code to type in. That's something you know. And then the biometric, the eye scan. By the way, those things actually scan your blood vessels and not your actual, like, iris. Because <laughs> your blood vessels actually have, like, a nice pattern. Anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, <laughs> so, in James Bond, he has a passcode that he types in, and then scans his eyeball as his second mode of authentication, right? So we have something you have, something you know, that's your password. Something you are, that could be your biometrics, you know. Something where you are, you know, your location. And also the other factor is something that you have. So, for example, that's what these authenticator apps would be. You have your one-time pad that was sent to you via text or it's stored in the Authenticator app, right? Or you have an RSA token fob where you type in a code that expires after a short amount of time. The key point here, you don't need to know all those factors. That's just some basic security knowledge there about authentication, right? Um, most important thing is to know to use multi-factor authentication on any of your critical accounts, right? It's your second line of defense in a way. If they know your password, then they also have to know this other bit of information. They need to have your fingerprint. They need to be in your location. They need to know that code that is sent to you via your authenticator app, right? Okay, now we can talk about password managers. Things like LastPass, OnePass. Are they secure? Do I recommend them? Well, to me, I, I think they're a good idea. It's a great idea, actually. LastPass, OnePass... Uh, there are tools basically that can store all of your credentials, right? Stores all your passwords and usernames. And they can also rotate them automatically via like APIs with the service. So for example, like Facebook.com, it could rotate your password for you every 30, 60, 90 days. You never even know your password for Facebook.com. If you don't know your password, how can someone else know your password, right? Now, these, these password... Uh, Managers are usually protected by one master password. It's usually something very long, like 20, 30 characters, right? But if you're going to be using a password manager, 
I highly recommend making sure that it also has two-factor authentication, right? Again, that second layer of protection, defense in depth. If they get your master password, they also need to have these factors of authentication. Make sure if you're using a password manager today that you enable two-factor authentication. I do like password managers. I do recommend them. I and mean, there's tons of them out there. OnePass, LastPass. Just look up password managers, popular password managers on Google. It helps you to really rotate your passwords and, you know, make very long, complex streaks of characters that you don't even need to know. So it's definitely nice for that. You know, you can change your password however often you want. You can change it every day if you wanted to. You wouldn't even know the password. And usually these password managers will autofill that password for you. It's definitely something I recommend looking into. I don't necessarily use one myself. Um, I kind of, like I said, take the risk approach for my passwords. And, you know, I usually just reset them, <laughs> honestly. A lot of times I don't even remember my password. So I'm always resetting my passwords. I'm that guy. I guess I should probably use a password manager since I don't, you know, don't remember my password. <laughs> you know, every 10 or 15 days I'm resetting most of my passwords because I don't, I don't know it. Um, that's probably not the best approach. Maybe I'll start using one of the password managers, but it's something you can definitely look into, right? Password managers are pretty awesome. They can autofill all your passwords, and it's protected by multi-factor authentication. You are putting a lot of trust into those companies, though. Um, actually, I believe LastPass had a, a security incident back in like 2015, something like that. But I don't think any of their user credentials or master passwords were breached. The one thing to think about password managers is that you're putting a lot of trust. It's like a single point of failure, right? If your password manager is not available, you can't get into anything. If your master password is breached, then... If you don't have two-factor authentication, your whole account might be gone, right? So the bad part about a password manager is that it's really a one single point of failure to be very careful and make sure that it's always available. And also, thinking about it, those companies might have some way to collect data, you know, on what websites you're using. Because you have to tie, like, Facebook.com, whatever, to that profile. And I'm sure they probably collect data on that. So if you're uncomfortable with... A company potentially knowing you know what websites you're using and how long your passwords might be I don't know if I necessarily trust it 100% right I trust myself more than that that's kind of the reason why I don't use a password manager myself um, that's just some things to look into also KeePass is an open source uh, password manager I believe that might be something to look into for anyone who wants to set up that kind of thing for themselves um, so yeah, for passwords, there's some key things to keep in mind. One is complexity. That's like length. Using words that aren't in the, di the dictionary, right? Using symbols, using uppercases, using lowercases, a mix of characters, making your password very long. That is complexity. The other thing is reuse, right? You don't want to reuse passwords. If you have a breached password on one website, Literally, there's tons of tools out there called, like, the Harvester. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, credential-leaking websites where you can type in an email address to find leaked credentials, right? If someone gets that credential and can use it across a lot of accounts, that's very bad, okay? That's very low-hanging fruit. 
You don't want to reuse passwords across different websites, right? The other factor in passwords is uh, expiration. How long is the password, right? 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. You want to be rotating it. But you don't want to be rotating it with a pattern, right? You want to keep it random. That's where the password manager really comes in as a helpful tool. And you can also obviously use a lot of passwords, um, like just a bunch of different passwords, right? Like totally different passwords from each other. You want to pick long phrases, right? Even people say, don't use passwords anymore. Use passphrases. It's like a long phrase. Maybe it's like uh, music lyrics, but summarized into just their first character, followed by, you know, a bunch of digits, a bunch of symbols, and a, a mix of uppercase, lowercase, right? So that's something else to think about, using passphrases. It's a very long password you could have, potentially. So it's just some things to think about. For password security, I definitely recommend, you know, changing your password. For most critical accounts, I would say like 90 days minimum. Normal accounts, probably 60 days, or not 60 days, I'm sorry, 180 days, or maybe once a year if you really don't care about the account. And I do think about my accounts also as like a risk level. So, for example, my banking accounts, you'll never find the same password for them right they're very complex right they get rotated often that's the things you want to think about because that has my critical data in it right maybe some of the lower hanging fruit you can think about having less complex passwords but with a password manager it makes it a lot easier okay so I hope you guys all found that educational and I'll see you guys next week for the next podcast bye